Welcome to the Liberal Europe Podcast, European Liberal Forum Project. I'm your host, Ricardo Silvestre. And today I welcome back to the podcast, Thomas Clausen. Thomas is the Policy Advisor for Education and Research at the Liberal Institute in the Friedrich Naumann Foundation. And I had Thomas on the podcast on episode 35, you can go back and listen to it, where we talk about the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic on education and at the time we consider what could be done to create better educational practices. Now I ask Thomas to come back to the podcast so that we can talk about the future of education and based on two publications that Thomas was involved, one Best Education by 2030 and the other one is a Trend Guide Schools for the Future. And after our conversation, I'll be back to tell you about some of the events organized by ELF for this month of April. Thomas Clausen. Thomas, thank you so much for coming back to the podcast. Good morning, Ricardo. Thank you so much for inviting me again. Oh, it's good to have you back. Ask you to come back so that we can talk a little more about structural and uh, liberal perspectives on how education can be uh, thought out when we think, for example, in 2030. But before that, tell us a little bit how have been things for you. Um. Not too bad. We've um, produced two major publications at the Liberal Institute, one uh, on the uh, future of schools and the other one on um, like a broad bundle of education policies from early childhood education to lifelong learning. Um, and I think we are going to talk a bit about the former today. So we asked um, Dr. Daniel Detling from the uh, Future Institute um, a political scientist who's now also um, acting as a future researcher to tell us a bit more about um, the future of the school and the trends that are going to shape it. It's a very interesting document and I'm going to put it on the show notes for our listeners to know more about it if it is, it is in German, but still nowadays it's easy to uh, get into this kinds of documents and have very reliable translations. Today we're going to go a little more into detail about those documents that you uh, mentioned. One of them it's a trend guides, a school for the future, and please correct me if my German is failing me in any way. You have uh, several chapters and one of them I thought it was really interesting, which is the first one. It's called Megatrends and their effects on the school system. And for, you know, any parent they should be worried about megatrends. Where are we going? So let's start with that. Tell us what did you meant by knowing megatrends and then later the effects on the school system. Yes, yeah, so as I mentioned, um, Dr. Daniel Detling is, he calls himself now a future researcher, but obviously he's not using a crystal ball um, mm -hmm. and he's also not killing any birds to figure out how, how the future is going to be. <laughs> and also in a way, of course, and no one knows how the future is going to be exact exactly but he says well it is possible to identify what he calls megatrends that are def probably or very likely going to be around in the in the near future and that are also sort of transforming our present already mm -hmm. and in this uh, in the trend guide that he wrote for us he says well there are four major trends that are definitely going to change how the school looks like so one is connectivity which means digitization, but also a new kind of networking and network learning. 
The second one is urbanization. So even more people in the city than on the countryside. And that also brings its own kind of challenges. The third one is individualization and globalization. So in a way, two um, um, trends that seemingly um, go in different directions, but that are sort of dependent on each other. So on the one hand, of course, um, we have everyone comes closer together. We have much more diversity in um, a school. We have much more, um, you know, much more heterogeneity. But on the other hand, it also means that people are less connected to one particular type of community and more um, on its own. And the fourth one is what he calls new work. So um, that employment changes, that we have a huge challenge from AI when it comes to uh, typical white collar jobs. So people might have to reskill or learn again. Um, and he says those are the four main trends that will that schools will have to respond to. And uh, schools need to sort of provide the competencies for uh, young people to deal with those trends and the changes that those trends bring. And I find this quite persuasive, to be to be honest. I think um, those four trends are definitely spot on. Then if we have the principles, we know them, we um, understand them and see how they affect the school system, then we move on then to what is what are the principles for education in the world of tomorrow? How do you make this connection then? And that is a little bit of connection of, all right, this is the trends, now this are the principles. This is, of course, a huge um, topic in education research. And uh, Dr. Daniel Detling has been drawing on a number of very important and interesting insights. I think when it comes to um, the sort of competencies of the future, we talked about this briefly in the last podcast, but there's this. 4K model, which says communication, creativity, critical thinking, and collaboration. Um, so it's not just about knowledge, but it's also about the ability to, to interact with other um, students and later with colleagues and friends and so forth. So the social dimension, we need creativity because, um, as he says, well, I mean, it's, it's definitely the case that machines are going to do a lot of things that... Um, um, humans can only do worse. So, I mean, even when it comes to something like doing your taxes, it's already clear that basically it's an algorithm that does everything and knows everything. And it's unclear that, um, you know, a human being will be like the sort of tax magician who will do it um, even better than the um, machine, only in like fringe cases. But it becomes clear that the majority of tasks that currently is done by humans will be done by sort of artificial intelligence and KE. So creativity becomes important because it's sort of the going beyond what an algorithm can produce. Then we have critical thinking, and that's important for an entire uh, like bunch of reasons from uh, being prepared for democracy and for making nuanced decisions. It's also relevant, of course, for detecting something like fake news. Um, but it's also, in a way, um, a critical tool for navigating ambiguity, one of the other um, challenges that um, students face in the 21st century. And finally, we have collaboration. Again, that's very close to communication. People need to work together. Um, that's a much more important task. And it's also a much more challenging task because, as I mentioned briefly, with a megatrend like uh, globalization um, or globalization, as it's uh, now probably even called, it's, it means that people need to interact with people from 
various backgrounds who have different sensitivities, different cultural codes, and also different skill set, of course, and that can bring um, a lot of opportunity. People, I think, especially companies have recognized that diverse teams really can um, achieve a lot, but it also requires um, a whole set of uh, competencies that have not been at the center of schooling uh, previously. It's a very comprehensive um, list of principles, and some of them would be a podcast on itself. I was very interested about the question regarding education and learning for the future regarding, for example, in artificial intelligence, because it's been somewhat of a trend in here in our podcast to see people saying creativity it's an it's going to be very very important it's going to be a need in the future because computers yes. they're not creative they will do those routine tasks that people know how to do and sometimes they do an entire life of it and they learn in school and they learn in their job well that the computer will do it so people need to be creative just a little bit of a detail that i've been seeing with the conversations that i've been having that it comes across over and over. So with that, what is what what were the, the big tendencies that just to finish this document from Daniel from Daniel Detling, what are the then the main perspectives for the future that we can draw from uh, this this fantastic work? Well, um, I think first of all, I do think that it is a positive document. So you mentioned at the beginning that parents should be worried about um, all these mega trends. And people have also been talking about the VUCA world, so volatility, uncertainty, and so forth. But I think we should be, um, we should, I think, especially as liberals, one should also be very optimistic about it. We have a lot of, um, you know, we can really make the best out of it and can lead to better education, to a more um, uh, just education. Also, it would be, it will be possible to use something like technology to provide um, teaching that's more centered at the individual. And so, when he talks about perspectives, um, I mean, some of his ideas, are, of course, if we really want to make it work, we need um, digital school uh, tools at school. So, um, you know, we can think about gamification. Um, of teaching content. And this is, by the way, not a sort of um, Silicon Valley type fancy new idea that um, teaching, like, that learning and playing goes together. This is, goes right back to German idealism and uh, Friedrich Schiller, the poet, who says, well, um, a human being is only then a human being where he plays. Um, and by the way, and of course, this is true. If we think about how we learn things, um, playing games and just playing and discovering something is a vital element of it and also one that fosters creativity. And if we now think about going back to schools and also the, the world of young people today, I think there's huge opportunity to sort of bring in technology, to even bring in gaming to um, educate uh, students. So um, we need, of course, new concepts, something like the flipped classroom. It doesn't really make sense if you use digital school tools and during Corona, this is especially obvious, but I think it will, the sort of hybrid school will stay for with us. It doesn't really make sense to introduce a topic at school and then give some homework to see whether students understood it and then introduce the next topic in the next lesson. Now it could be the other way around. So flip classroom where people will work out something at home, sort of have um, an, uh, maybe a, a video or um like a more sophisticated, say, language training program where they learn on their own with the computer. And then 
in the classroom, the teacher does what he can do best. He can sort of you can figure out where the gaps are. He can motivate a student, but he can also do something like build his character, um, sort of do everything that's pedagogically uh, valuable. So um, that could be a new concept. Um, but the the big perspective is, of course, um, it should should also be you know we talked a lot about competencies and of course also knowledge, which remains of course at the center of education. But the big um, the big or the main task is also to to have free schools. So we mm. need schools are not there to produce you know um, people with like nice grades or nice nice curriculum vitae. They also don't need we don't also don't want to produce machines. At the end of the day, schools are there to produce uh, citizens who can decide on their own uh, what they want to do with their lives and how they can acquire the skills um, and the tools they need to uh, make, you know, achieve what they want um, in a sort of democratic mode. And I think that's that will remain the probably one of the core tasks of schools in the future. I could not agree with you more. In, in private conversations with people that are inside the education system, myself, I am a professor at the university, and I could not agree with you more. Um, and and, and it, it, is, it, is a liberal, um, it is a liberal concept, and it is a liberal initiative, and we should defend that. You were going to say something, I'm sorry? Um, no, I think, um, so this is also, I mean, one of the final perspectives that Detling says, and I mean, as a, as a professor yourself, you will probably agree, um, we also need to put pedagogy at the center. So this is so when people talk about the digitalization of the education system and how we are going to have everything from sort of uh, video screens in schools, video conferences, AI trained um, education programs. Of course, they can be important and they can provide more um, individual teaching. You know, an algorithm that can figure out where precisely the student went wrong and then you know, bring up the precise lesson, but the sort of the emotional and social competencies, values, and also sort of um, standing up for yourself and others, that is something that no program can do. And um, teaching and learning depends on a, to a huge degree on the interaction between, you know, sort of the 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 young scholar and his uh, Jedi master. Um, mm. And this is a very <laughs> personal um a relationship that cannot be replaced by technology and um, but we need teachers who of course who are um, adept at navigating the technology so that they can do what teachers have always been doing for for centuries um, in a digital environment i would add something else and you already uh, touched upon it uh, before on the podcast and that is not only all this and that that is what you just mentioned very correctly so People are in school to be better citizens, to be more informed, to make better decisions. But then I'm going to pick up what you just mentioned uh, 30 seconds ago, and that is the role of the professor is to teach and to give valuable information. But more and more, and this is, of course, not a podcast about myself, but we also see ourselves debunking information. So instead of just as it was traditional, you have a set of information, that information, it's a valid information and it can be, you know, passed on to uh, other generations. Now they come up with their uh, knowledge. Sometimes it's a good knowledge, but most of the times it is junk. It is, you know, either I'm from the uh, natural sciences world, either is misinformation or is junk science. 
And it's just tremendous. And uh, I totally agree with you with that, which is to gift tools to people, not only to be better citizens, but also to be better informed and know how to navigate this uh, world of digital. And that takes me to another document, which is better education. That one is yours and uh, your colleague, Thomas uh, Straubar. And this one also goes into several details. And one of them is very interesting because it just connects to what you were saying, and that is the liberal narrative. Education, freedom, need liberal narrative. So go a little bit into that. Yes. So, I mean, this was a document that I wrote together with um, Professor Thomas Straubart from the University of Hamburg. And um, th this project basically went in parallel with the one that Detling wrote, because Detling is, of course, an, um, sort of an outside um, expert. And this is our hardcore liberal policy paper, so to speak. But um, I think the liberal narrative is um, contains a lot of what we um, talked about earlier. So sort of a point of departure is something that's um, already a bit dated, but still um, sort of very relevant. And that's um, a text written by Ralph Dahndorf, who used to be um, the, the chair of the Friedrich Naumann, or the, the, um, the, the chair of the Friedrich, um, board of the Friedrich Naumann Foundation, and also, um, you know, a very important sociologist in the 20th century. He um, he originally came from Hamburg, but he ended up in the House of Lords, so he always um, navigated the channel. And in one of the um, texts he wrote, and um, basically uh, 55 years ago, and he said, "Well, we need um, sort of a new type of education politics, um, where the state actually plays a significant role." So it's um, but where we talk about education as a civil right. And that's, of course, no coincidence. So the 1960s were a time when civil rights were very much in the focus. And he says education really belongs um, to the struggle because only if everyone has a chance to um, you know, acquire the skills and the knowledge he or she needs to um, fulfill, as he says, the duties and the rights of a citizen, then, then a liberal society can work. And I think this is still the basis. So we, we need to start with the individual. You know, everyone needs to have the opportunity to um, hone his talents, his or her talents. Um, but then, of course, we need to think about, okay, how can this look like in the future? So what do we need to change in the education system um, for this to work and um, to sort of produce these um, um, citizens? Um, and in our policy paper, we start with, some um, suggestions for early childhood education. So we are a huge fan of the German kindergarten or the Kindertagesstätte, which means that um, actually um, education doesn't start with the first day at school. It starts, of course, at home with the parents, um, something that's sometimes even overlooked that, you know, it's, it's in many cases, the parents are throughout the, the years much more important for the educational success than uh, the sort of rigid institutions can be. But that also means that the early childhood institutions, such as the uh, kindergarten, are part of the education system. And we need, you know, we need to type, we need tests, not of course for the children themselves, but to figure out how's their language, you know, and as early as possible. So if we can see that someone, for example, in Germany doesn't really speak German at the age of three or has some problems, we need some, um, we need to make some offers to the child, especially if the parents don't speak German, so that he or she can um, pick up on it. Um, then when we go to schools, we talked about this a lot already. Um, the basis is, of course, infrastructure. Um, in Germany, and I think in most countries, there's not really a professional IT team, for example, at a school. Um, 
So it's, it's ridiculous. We wouldn't expect the biology teacher to fix the roof of the school, but usually every school has this one or two uh, nerds, so to speak, of who figure out how to run the uh, IT infrastructure at their school. And so you could have a physical education teacher who's also the main admin, and that really doesn't make any sense. So um, we need um, fast internet, we need the devices, but um, we also need some sort of consistency. And But that's sort of the basis. But then we think a bit more about um, the role of the teacher. And in Germany, the teachers, it's, it's quite a um, cushy profession, but it's not really possible to, to make a career out of it. And if you're a good teacher, something very ironic uh, happens, you are rewarded by teaching less. So you could only be promoted to become a principal, which is a completely different role. And also that's sort of a problem that, it's sort of a situation that doesn't really make any sense. So we want some new possibilities there. And maybe the last thing I mentioned, I mean, we have a host of things, but maybe the last thing I should pick up on also because it relates to what you were talking about earlier, that's the potential of the edtech market. So um, there's a whole variety of educational products now out there, um, commercial educational products from school clouds to um, educational videos to um, certain tools. And I think there's a huge potential. You know, we don't want just the civil service to figure out how to transfer knowledge best. But there is, of course, also a huge challenge, and that is that it's very difficult to um, differentiate between the good stuff and the junk. And in Germany, I think, as it is in most uh, countries, or actually maybe not most countries, um, but in Germany, in any case, for example, school books are heavily regulated. Um, so that means we have like entire institutions that are checking the contents of school books. And I think that makes a lot of sense, precisely because school is a protected area, because uh, pupils are not able to really figure out whether what they wrote on Wikipedia is um, good or not. But um, as liberals, we are also very fond of the freedom of speech. So we, um, uh, we don't want anyone to sort of say, well, this is the good type of information and this is... Um, the bad type of information, not because I want anyone to listen to Alex Jones, but because I don't want any institution that can regulate um, whether um, what he says is actually um, okay or not. Although, of course, if he's breaching the legal uh, boundaries, and I think when, I mean, we are now digressing a bit, but when it really comes to um, spreading um, falsehood that, you know, um, harm, say, the, um, the parents of the massacre, that's different. Yeah, so that that's of course um, you know freedom of speech as this is not um, a complete carte blanche. Um, but that's of course a topic for a different podcast. But it sort of illustrates that when we when we talk about um, school needing to equip um, children to you know um, deal with like a variety of information and to make their own mind up, it's it's not just a matter of you know they need to be you know figure out what's the best route to understanding Latin vocabulary. It really is about um, educating citizens. Um, and I think when we're going back to this, the, the challenge from the edtech market, we should have some sort of um, institution that for the school decides um, what type of material is valuable and what is not. And in Germany at the moment, is school books are heavily regulated, but then um, when it comes to all sorts of tutoring software or so forth, it's just everything is out there. And then there's Wikipedia, and then from there on, they ch children can pick up anything they like. And I think it makes sense to have some sort of ecosystem that is slightly more protected. 
This is fascinating. And as we getting to the end of our conversation, I like to have your thoughts on something that I think also it's really, really important. And it comes across in some of the conversations I have here in the podcast, and that is the need not only to think about the education process as, you know, kindergarten, you go to school, you get your uh, diploma, you go to the work site and thing dies there. A lot of people, and I'm sure you agree with that, this is a long life process from not only education, but also from training, from re-education, from retraining, if needs so. So go a little more into the importance of having always that in the horizon. Yeah, um, I fully agree. And I think it's also um, central for just us as you know human beings. So providing someone with lifelong education, of course, is an economic argument. The jobs are going to change. Most of the jobs of the future don't exist at the moment. So people will have to reskill at some point, And it's important to provide, um, you know, the training opportunities for them to take up new jobs that maybe haven't trained before uh, previously. So it, it's no longer the case that you can have vocational, um, you know, that you can take an apprenticeship, for example, and then you're 50 years uh, in this job, buy a house at some point and retire. Um, but I don't think that's the, the, I mean, it's a good argument, but it's not the best. I think the best is uh, that people really, you know, they thrive on learning something new, on um, bettering themselves. And that's ultimately what education, or in a way, it's, it's not just education, it's formation um, um, that is, uh, people thrive on. So we need more opportunities for them. So in policy making, it means we need to think about how can this be financed? How can you know people do this part-time? What about um, say single parents? What tools or devices do they need to you know manage a job, um, further learning and 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 a little family? Um, and there, it's, it's, I think it will be depend a bit on the country. Uh, in, in Germany, the liberals came up with something called the midlife buffer. So there's some sort of um, a, a, a little um, it's it's basically a little bank account where people pay in um, for several years and some if they earn too little the state is going to pay in a little and then it, after 10 years they can sort of use the money to pay for either the just the subsist or like the the, um, the loss of uh, regular earnings um, or for some sort of course and that could be a way of um, making sure that lifelong learning is possible but the other one would also be to have um, to um, empower people to use um, digital courses, um, massive open online courses, and so forth. So um, I think mm -hmm. we have now much more opportunity to provide education beyond school and beyond university. Um, and that's actually another a very good reason to be optimistic about the future, that it's much easier to, to keep on learning um, after school. And I'm very happy that people like you are doing this kind of job. Um, this is a fantastic work. You, not only you, but uh, your, you and the Friedrich Naumann Foundation are doing regarding telling us where this thing is going and how can we make education a better um, process, not only for children, but also for parents and for society in general. Tell us a little bit, how can people know more about this? Well, first of all, I have uh, thank you for your uh, kind words, and I have to return the praise and say um, people should also keep uh, listening to your podcast, which I think is excellent. Um, now, regarding the um, the topics that we talked about today, um, I think you are going to 
uh, place the two links to our trend guide and to to a little policy paper on um, best um, education until 2030 into the the comments. Um, I think a good starting point for all matters educational is the work by the OECD um, and Andreas Schleicher. They have just published um, sort of a supplementary study to the famous PISA study 2018. They look at uh, topics such as inclusion um, also the way that um, sort of digitization transforms the school and they really have a wealth of data and expert knowledge and it's um, all available for free of course and it's um, I think it's a good starting point to, uh, for anyone who wants to get into this topic in depth um, yeah I think that would be the main the main parts that I would suggest if it's just about the, the sort of the starting point Perfect. I will ask you to come back to the podcast again in the future because we, we open up the door for many discussions we can have. Actually, we, I think we can have like a, a complete mini series just about I would love that. liberalism and education and also to explore this some of these main concepts that you presented to us. But for now, Thomas, I'm going to thank you so much for coming back to the podcast. Yes. Thanks again for hosting. I'm back just to remind you that you can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and Spotify. And if you like it, give us a five-star review. In that way, you can help us spread even more liberal values and ideas. And now for some of the events organized by ELF for this third week of April. On the 14th of April, based in Belgium, it's going to be a Zoom webinar. We have EU Ascension and Political Freedom. This is a launch event of a publication with the same name, EU Ascension and Political Freedom. And during this webinar, some key questions will be discussed. For example, is the ascension to the European Union a reforming period linked to a more political freedom? Which of the current EU policies foster political freedom? Do identify EU economic policies or institutional factors with a detrimental effect on political freedom? And then on the 16th of April, we have one of flagship events for ELF, which is ELF Idea Accelerator. This time, the future is digital. This is happening after last year's fully online edition. This year, we're going to have an hybrid system between online and some of the guests in Brussels. In the aftermath of the coronavirus, we have witnessed an acceleration of the digital transformation of our world. From the way we work to the way we connect with our family and friends, more and more aspects of our life are going through a digitalization process that was long overdue. In some of the keynote speeches and some of the sessions, we're going to deal with things like, for example, robots on trial, next level participation, tools for e-democracy, social media, how youth political activism in the age of digital technology, and then regulating big tech. To know more about this event, you just have to go to liberalforum.eu forward slash events. And this is all for now, but I'll be back soon with more podcasts. Until then, let's keep making the world a better place. The Liberal Europe podcast, it's organized by the European Liberal Forum with the support of Movimento Liberal Social in Portugal. This podcast is co-founded by the European Parliament. 
and the European Parliament is not responsible for the contents of this podcast or any use that may be made of it. The views expressed on this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the European Parliament and or the European Liberal Forum. <laughs>